Propitiation is the mechanism by which that actually happens. It's not just this uh, abstract doctrinal position that nobody cares about. It's, you know, it's the variable in algebra that you have to have to make everything work. Nobody really cares about it, but you know, oh, we always have to have that. Right. And no, that's not it at all. It's, it's the foundational stone for emotional renewal. It's, it's the way he heals my soul. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that you have to do. It is not something that we can do for you, but we can come alongside you to challenge you, encourage you, and to entertain you a little bit along the way. <laughs> My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. <laughs> Douglas Peak. Well, it's so good to be here with all of you today as we're digging into this. Where does our value come from? And we're really uncovering the core doctrines of the faith on which all of our value as human beings is based, our reality is based. So it's good to dig into this, and I hope you guys are uh, really enjoying it. It's good to have you back. I'm excited to be back. I spent <laughs> Six days in New York, and I am glad to be back in the safety of Idaho. We'll put it that way. Uh, it was a great, it was great. I mean, there's so much culture. I mean, basically everywhere I walked, I could be surrounded by so many different people, and none of them were speaking English. It yeah. was a very unique experience, yeah. especially because I've been to New York before, but I don't ever remember it being as diverse culturally and lingually as yeah. me and my buddy just sitting in a restaurant, no one speaking English other than our servers in any of the tables near us. And it's like some of them were fair skinned, some of them were dark skinned, others all like, across the board. All across the board. And wow. so there's a there's definitely a diversity that only can exist in a hub like New York that we got to experience and that was super fun. So um but I am glad to be back here in Idaho and I did not actually in all my flights download the podcast from <laughs> Tuesday. So what are we talking about? What did you talk about on Tuesday? Pastor? Well, we studied the main New Testament passages on propitiation. 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 Making, making up words? Nope. This is the mechanism by which we are justified and reconciled. Remember we talked about justification and then reconciliation yes. and that that's what Jesus does for us. And propitiation is how he actually does it. So okay. I really dug into that and I typed stuff up and it was like a 40 minute podcast. <laughs> and so all by myself. So my son called me and he said, uh, you should have had me host with you. And I went, uh Oh, so I said, why is that? He goes, it was good, but it's better with a host. I said, why is that? <laughs> he goes, man, you get going and rolling. And he goes, you, you need to kind of give people a breather to catch up i'm i'm here for the breathing <laughs> points so that people can process in the middle of some of these high level things i actually talked about that on the discussion questions a couple weeks ago when i was on the post-sermon discussion yeah, question yeah. group and i'm like man it's really nice to not just be wondering what the other people in the room are thinking i can like we're at the yeah, same level it's, it's same a different point. level when i'm with doug <laughs> they're like yeah that's fair well we're just rolling along there and he was like yeah you know you needed to kind of like summate a little bit so that people could catch up and you know my son's pretty sharp yes <laughs> so so i was like oops so i hope if you listen on uh tuesday i didn't run too far ahead of the uh, you know, get the cart in front of the horse or run too far ahead. And it's, it's not that I'm like running out in front of people. It's just that, um, I start thinking and communicating and really, uh, 
highly specific ways, terminologies mm. and things that I'm, I'm used to. And if, you know, if you don't live in that space, then, you it know, can be a lot, it could be a lot, you know, you're sitting there. It's, and so anyway, I, I hope that I, I didn't overdo it. I, the, the main point I wanted to make on Tuesday with these biblical passages is that, you know, Jesus is here to renew us and restore us. And that means emotionally as well. Mm. And propitiation is the mechanism by which that actually happens. It's not just this uh, abstract doctrinal position that nobody cares about. It's, you know, it's the variable in algebra that you have to have to make everything work. Nobody really cares about it, but you know, oh, we always have to have that. Right. And no, that's not it at all. It's, it's the foundational stone for emotional renewal. It's, it's the way he heals my soul is when I dig into and understand and live out the principle of propitiation. I am incapable. I am incapable of paying for my flaws and my mistakes. And when I realize that and live in that, that is the beginning of emotional healing. And I think it's really important because this is something that's really driving uh, our culture in ways that most people don't understand, particularly the younger generation. Well, and if we're really trying to have all of this emotional health that the world says it has to yes. offer us, but it doesn't seem to be working, then maybe we're not looking, the world is not looking at it under the right lens, right? We keep coming back to that that an analogy, but really it does come back to this idea of what are you building everything on top of? If it's a flawed statement or a flawed view, yeah, of course it's going to fall apart and not work. And you are offering this thing that's been in the Bible for thousands of years saying, hey, ha maybe we should go back to this idea of there's only one who can really emotionally heal us and get us on the right path, right? Yeah, and I think that that's really important to grasp because, you know, I, I think people are in worse shape than we think, particularly men. I, you know, the the answer for men has been, well, we're going to turn you into emotional creatures. We're going to get you in touch with your feelings. We're going to get you to be more expressive. That's what boys have been taught over the last thirty years. Right. And I have a video of a bunch of guys uh, talking about how that's turned out for them. So let's listen. Be honest, who do you call when you are at your lowest? Who is that one person? Nobody. I'm a man. No one cares. Not a single soul. Nobody. No one. Because I'm all alone. I think I speak for um, a lot of people when I say that um, I, I don't call anyone. Nobody. I'm a guy. Nobody gives a the guys when I say this. Literally no one. <laughs> Do y'all call someone? Nobody. It's just nobody. No one to talk to. So nobody. Who cares? Nobody. No one. I'm a man. No one cares. No one. Not a single person. I wouldn't call anyone. I wouldn't turn to a single person on this earth because they don't care. They will just find a way to use it against me one day. Somebody. So there you have it. You know, you can see that this represents so many young men today. Well, I would say even before I came to Foothills, where we are so focused on community and and discipleship and mm -hmm. really sharing life together, I would say I had a similar outlook as a man, especially having not been raised 
in a traditional household, I would say that idea of like, I just need to be the responsible older brother. And because I'm a man, I need to man up quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And I don't share that with anyone. I just figure it out on my own. And that's for me to deal with. I shouldn't, I shouldn't put that on someone else. Does that make sense? Like putting my struggles on somebody else. I think that's really a common experience for everybody. And I think what's fascinating about it is what people have said. And, uh, I don't, I I don't want to sound too salty, but what has happened is we feminize the raising of boys and our culture has become, it's called gynocentric. And in other words, it's female centric, Mm. uh, females do no wrong. All the problems are guys fault. Women have no accountability for almost anything that that's what this theory teaches. And, and there are vestiges of that in our society today, it's gynocentric. And what they've done is they've tried to say, well, our goal is to, uh, teach boys to act like girls and to express their emotions and get in touch with their emotions and do all this kind of stuff. But you notice in there that some of those guys said, you know, if I ever do that, it's always used against me. And this is the sad truth is that, you know, who uses emotions against guys the most women do, Mm. you know? And so the goal of this series is not to turn guys into highly emotional, communicative, share their being type of people, super sharers. That's not it. What it is about though, is that you're not carrying this burden alone there is a way to have emotional renewal and strength and healing. And it's necessary for men. It's absolutely critical for men, but the way you get it is not becoming a super sharer or like a, a female, you know, talking about your feelings all the time. What you do is you go to the core doctrines of the faith and propitiation is one of them. Propitiation, the more you think about it, the more you uh, mull it over in your head, the more you uh, embrace it, then the more healing you will experience. And so that's what the series has all been about is that your value goes up when you embrace these doctrines of the church or the, of, of Christ, you know, the church just carries them. The church didn't create them. It just carries them. Um, and the emotion and the emotional healing we need and how Satan uses traps to keep us from experiencing the fullness of how these truths transform our lives. And the main importance of propitiation and its truth in particular is that, uh, we need to be renewed, but we're not because we try to pay the price ourselves. For every mistake, every regret, every flaw, we try to pay the price ourselves, right? Right. Or we're trying to make somebody else pay the price for our failure, right? Or a a failure that affected us in a negative way. And so that attempt to pay the price, right, is the antithesis of propitiation. Because last week, uh, or not last week, but on Tuesday, I dug into how Jesus Christ and only he alone has the power to pay the price for our flaws, our sins, our mistakes, our failures, or in inconsistencies, or even our inabilities are falling short. Only Jesus has the power to do that. So we can't do it ourselves. And that's really the essence of it because you, you know that when you're trying to pay the price yourself or make somebody else pay the price, guess what? That's where the blame game is manifested. And that's what we talked about, the blame game. Yeah, you talked about the blame game. You kind of introduced it a little bit last week. Mm -hmm. Since I wasn't here on Tuesday, 
What new things did we dig into on that? I'm sorry, guys. I'm catching up here. I'm catching up. But maybe, maybe these, this uh, re-summarization from Tuesday will also help you guys get some of this stuff, too. Well, so. we kind of talked about some of the last week, a little bit of the general ramifications of it. But this week, what we did is, is we started to dig into, number one, the doctrinal teaching that when I become renewed in Christ, I don't have the right to really self-condemn anymore. That's, that gets taken away from us. Which sounds yeah. like we're being, something's getting, it sounds like a bad thing, but it's actually good. We just yeah. have to actually accept it, which is usually where we don't yeah. like to let things go, right? Well, yeah, you, you don't have a right, you know, Jesse doesn't have a right to say, oh, I screwed this up. I made a mistake. I'm a failure. I'm not responsible enough. I'm not, you don't have a right to say that about yourself anymore. Right. We still say that all the time but you don't have a right to do it. We don't have a right to condemn others mm. anymore that are followers of Christ, you know? Um, now some people misconstrue that and they don't understand the difference between speaking truth and love and being aware of flaws and failures. We're not blind to them, but I can't condemn. And you see, that's a problem. You can't be the judge because there's right. only one judge now. I was actually reading a yes. section in James chapter four today, I want to say. Yes. That was basically that same premise of like, yeah. you don't get to go, I'm holier than thou. That's right. You can speak truth, but it's ultimately, there's only one judge and one person who can forgive you yeah. for those sins. And that's not you. And it's not you. And so that's what's really important to understand. There's a direct link between your subconscious need to make someone pay for something, which is the blame game, or make yourself pay for it. Right. right. Uh, and our inability to mature it, that those are intimately linked. So I have to figure it. I have to figure this out. I have to resolve this. Um, so the basic notion is how can you grow if you spend all your time trying to make people or make yourself pay for things in the past? How can you grow if you spend all of your emotional energy, all of your mental energy trying to make yourself pay or others pay for mistakes in the past? It's a fruitless endeavor because it's impossible. You can never make anybody pay. You can't make yourself pay because it happened and it's gone. It cannot be wiped away. That's why the, the blood of Christ is so critically important for all those who come to know him is because they realize, oh, that's the only thing that has the power to wipe away the past. Nothing else does. So last week you talked about the blame game having two flaws, I believe, Two basic right? flaws, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, when we try and make others pay for their mistakes, we tend to condemn people for mm -hmm. their mistakes as well as their sins, and it seems to kind of ignore this doctrine, doctrine of redemption, restoration, forgiveness, and repentance. Mm -hmm. We basically take that portion away and just say, you messed up, you're a bad person. Yeah, right? we hold things against people forever. Then the second flaw we talked about was that it tempts us to be God's agents of righteous judgment. <laughs> yes. We're here to be the person that tells other people and help yes. judge them. Like you were saying, we yeah. want to not just like point it out, but then we want to condemn. Right. And, and we should be cognizant of that sin and the effects of that sin, but realize ultimately it's God's job yeah. to exact Like you justice. were just saying, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when we avoid these two things, it seems to just be healthier, not for only for us, but our whole community of faith. Yeah, right? we become a place, a church, where it's okay to not be okay. You know, we have a lot of people who are, aren't okay. Right. And 
it's it's okay. And it, you know, one way that this manifests is that sometimes we'll have people who are really pretty sketch show up on a Sunday morning. You know, they're pretty pretty sketch. And so we're like, okay, how do we protect everybody else, right? Yes. And especially kids. Kids are safety is our number one priority, and yet allow that person the opportunity to be confronted with the love of Jesus in their life. Right. right? And so our security team does all of these things way behind the scenes. So if you're super sketch, you know, you could show up and try to, you know, meet God. And, but you, what you don't know is that there's six guys that are trained that have their eyeball on you, but you'd never know it. Right. You'd never know it. They walk through the crowd, stuff like that. And so like, if you're in the main auditorium and you're in the atrium, you're talking to people, you're seeking stuff, blah, blah, that's no problem. But if you try to like get up in the middle of service and walk down to the nursery or the children's ministry, that's, yeah, You're you'll be meet, met by three other guys. Yes. Yeah. That just come out of the woodwork. And so, so I, I use that as an illustration is that we, what we're trying to do is we go to great lengths to let people feel it's okay to not be okay. You know, we're a place where, you know, we are a place here at Foothills where your sins are not counted against you, but you are encouraged to walk in the forgiveness and redemption of the Lord. It doesn't matter where you come from or where your past is. You're, it's not held against you. Okay. Only you can hold it against yourself and not step in the fullness. You, even though Christ has done all the work to redeem and restore you, you cannot choose not to receive it. We want to be a place where you find encouragement to walk the path of repentance. You know, this is a big deal. Like when, when someone uh, goes through divorce, right? What we want to do is we want to help them heal. So we do divorce recovery. Uh, we, we have a ministry to, to, for men who are addicted to pornography. And the thing is, is that the, the we, there's no, we don't use shame. You don't use guilt. You don't use any of that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, uh to motivate those guys, we're here to help them walk the path of repentance. You know, we've helped with the 12 step programs and uh, breaking free programs and freedom right. in Christ that we do all of these kinds of things for everybody to train themselves in the path of repentance. We want to be a place, uh, where, where no one's value is based on what they do. It's based on who God says they are in Christ Jesus. Right. And so that's really a critical point. So having just come back from New York, yes, I have a question. Okay. Uh, how do we deal with people who want to be part of our community? but they ask us to affirm their identity in something other than Jesus. So mm -hmm. this could be their ethnicity, their social status, political persuasion, uh, sexual preference, gender fluidity, whatever it might be, yes. polyamorous. Like there's all these things today that people want affirmation about because that's what they seek their identity in. How should we go about inviting them to be part of the community, but not stepping outside of what we should be doing? Well, I, my, my initial response is when you know Jesus, it's not difficult. And when you've been a parent, it's not difficult. You know, when, when I was, uh, younger, my kids were younger, you know, they would, you know, they would think, well, I'm a horse. And they'd run around the horse acting like a horse or I'm a cat and acting like a cat or I'm, you know, but they were kids, you know, and it's, right. and you may even like play the game with them, you know? And then at some point they would go, well, you know, the cat, you know, does this or a horse does this and you go, yeah, well, we don't allow animals in the house. So you decide. <laughs> um, so, so your ethnicity, your gender, your marital status can't be a value statement on your personhood. Paul states in Galatians that male and female ethnicity, barbarian Scythian, 
or your social status, a slave or free man, it can be the basis of your value. He says, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. So in other words, your value has nothing to do with your performance or your background or your preference because we are justified, uh, justified and reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ. So it has nothing to do with performance or, you know, orientation or social status or anything, ethnicity. Um, it, it doesn't have to do with your marital status. Paul states in Corinthians, he says, look, if you are not married, don't seek to get married. If you are married, don't seek to be single. And what's his point? Well, getting married doesn't increase your value spiritually. Right. And he says, getting divorced, leaving your spouse doesn't increase your spiritual value. And so if it can't increase it, it can't decrease it. Now, that doesn't mean that there's a lot of pain and suffering in divorce. It's really sad and really hard. Um, I just, I read an article about a famous singer or something, uh, Jana Kramer, and uh, I don't know if she's a country western star or pop star, sure. kind of something like that. But she was married to this guy who was a sportsman. She was married to him for about six or seven years. They had two kids, and during that time, he uh, committed adultery thirteen times with thirteen different women, and so they finally got divorced. And so here, here's she's in this position where, in no fault of her own, right? He kept doing this, and he wouldn't stop. So they get divorced and now she's saying it's heartbreaking because on Christmas I can't be with my kids. So right. now she's suffering. She's suffering from the sins of another person, right? And it's devastated her life and she's suffering that. And our, uh, my heart breaks for her. But what's interesting is her value though as a human being in the eyes of God doesn't drop because she's divorced. Now she still has a lot of pain and emotional stuff she has to work through, but her value right doesn't change in the same way. First Corinthians six eighteen, Paul says this flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So notice how he says it's a sin against the body. He's not talking about the soul. So sexual things cannot be the basis for a spiritual identity either for or against. See, that's the point is that, so when someone says, well, you need to affirm, this is my identity. Our response is, well, to know Jesus is to relinquish all identities, right? You have to relinquish all identities. You must, Jesus said, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. What does deny yourself mean? What is it like? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to deny myself beer and donuts and that's my cross so I can follow Jesus. Is that what he means? I mean, if they're taking over your life and causing <laughs> you to be unable to function, yes. So, so if you identify for, as a donut? <laughs> well, I think if your weight becomes an issue and your drinking habits become an issue to the point where you cannot follow Jesus, mm-hmm. then yeah, that could be your cross to bear. Is it the average person's cross to bear and does most people identify as a donut or beer? Probably not. Probably not. But see, the issue though, is that Jesus isn't saying deny your wants. He's not saying even deny your, you know, your preferences. He's not saying deny your appetites. You know, what he's saying is deny yourself. 
your identity and everything you build your identity on. Because like you said, well, I, you know, you have a weight problem or an issue. So you're not, not you personally, but a person who says that, oh, I have a weight problem because I eat too many donuts and stuff like that. Well, if, if you were to go to counseling for that, you know, in therapy, they'd dig into that because what they'd find is that well, the reason you have a weight problem isn't because you love donuts, right? Right. It's, it's because it goes back and it's always what? It always comes back to a self-esteem issue, right? In the eating way your you're, you're eating your feelings. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows this. We, we do know this, but we, we miss it in our society all the time. You cannot build any identity on a sexual orientation, a sexual preference, a sexual desire. It's impossible. And the attempt to do so always results in emotional trauma, emotional, uh, 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 dissonance, the incapacity to renew. Therefore, when someone demands that we affirm whatever it is they want us to affirm, they are actually playing the blame game. See what they're doing is they're saying, look, the reason I'm hurt, this is what they do. The reason I'm hurt, the reason I'm suffering emotional trauma or pain in my life is because you're not affirming whatever it is I feel that I am. Uh, as if acceptance and affirmation can heal you emotionally. See, this is the big lie is that all these people, particularly in the transgender discussion right now is, well, uh, the reason why these people are suffering so much is because there's a stigma, right? right. And there, there's race, there's phobia against them, but all the research points to the opposite. And that is, is that in the places where it's the most accepted for the longest time, they've had gender affirming transitions more than anything. The rates of depression, anxiety, uh, suicidal, uh, I can't remember what they, what they call it, um, the issues of desire for suicide, hopelessness, nihilism, all of these things don't change before or after. So, so it's really interesting is that acceptance and affirmation cannot heal you emotionally. Only Jesus has the power to heal and renew you emotionally. Nothing else can. So in our last few minutes, pastor, why do people play the blame game so much in today's world if it's not helpful? Well, everybody in the last Western civilization in the last 50 years has been trained to think deconstructively. It's, it's, you know, we became a postmodern society in the 60s and early 70s. Mo modernism or modernity died out, and it's just slowly gone through our entire culture. And so we are trained to think deconstructively. And, and like I said, it's a way of thinking, not necessarily what you're thinking. Right. And so the blame game is the number one reason why we don't grow emotionally. The blame game locks us into regret. It locks us into guilt. It locks us into shame. And on two Tuesday, I talked about how guilt and shame are the things that, uh, the conduit that takes something in the past and puts you in trauma in the present, which is really an interesting phenomena. Right. But when we say things like, um, you know, I can't believe I did that. I'm so stupid. Well, you know, you put yourself down that negative self-talk. Guess what? That's self-condemnation based on shame. Okay. When we say things like, I'm never going to forget what that person did to me. One day their karma is going to come back and smack them. You know, this, well, what is that? Uh, that's called retribution. And that comes in the form of guilt. When, when we say things like, I can't believe they took advantage of me. I can't believe I let this happen to me. Why couldn't I have seen the red flags? That's self-condemnation. And it comes through the form of guilt. Like I let somebody, you know, take advantage of me. Right. 
Uh, when we say things like, it's not fair, I didn't start out the same place as everyone else did. There's a hidden group that's stopping me from achieving anything. Well, this is defeatism in the form of self-condemnation. The only way to be renewed emotionally and to grow to maturity is to overcome the blame game. And what the blame game basically means is I have, I've given up the right as a follower of Christ for self-condemnation. Paul said in Romans chapter five, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you can't condemn yourself, right? You're not allowed to do that. Of course, that also means you can't condemn others. And deconstructionism is the number one reason why people don't overcome the blame game because it gives them a rational basis for blame. You see, you remember the, the, the thing in deconstructionism that we always talked about. Okay. And that is, is that Jacques Rousseau, the French philosopher, postulated that you're you're fine. The problem is society. Right. Okay, it's society that corrupts you. You're you're perfect. You're great. So once that filtered in the postmodern ethos into our society, everybody is raised with this notion that you're great. You're awesome. There's nothing wrong with you. We accept everything. And the, the, the pro the reason you don't like your body, the reason you don't feel good about yourself, the reason is because society has a problem, right? Right. So it's not you, it's society. So then if you've been trained to think that this, that this principle is your value system, all you can do when deconstructionism comes in, a way of thinking, is find blame for all your emotional hurt. That's a trap in deconstructionism. It is the unwillingness to deconstruct yourself. You'll deconstruct anything around you, right? right. Well, I deconstructed my faith. And I deconstructed the church. I deconstructed religion. I deconstructed conservatism. I deconstructed progressivism. I deconstructed liberalism. I de it doesn't matter what it is. If you keep trying to, de the issue is, well, why don't you deconstruct yourself? Because isn't your faith you? Isn't this, you know, whatever, isn't right. this you? I, you see, that's the trap. Deconstructionism takes your focus off yourself and who you are and what it does is it robs you of the capacity to do anything about your own circumstance. You see, it places what you're experiencing on something external that you have no control over society. And what that does is that robs you and it cheats you. That's why it's a trap because now you're stuck. I'm in a, I'm in a prison. I can't do anything about the walls and it is the most disempowering way to think. When you think this way, you end up devaluing yourself. You dehumanize yourself every single day. And that's why I hate deconstructionism. I hate it to its core because it's a deceptive trick that robs people of their value. It robs them of the potential for living a joyous life. There's a huge thread on TikTok right now about the loneliness of deconstructionism. All of these people are talking about, well, when I deconstructed my faith or I deconstructed religion or I deconstructed the church, I deconstructed my family. No one told me about how lonely it would be. And that is because what you did is you deconstructed something external without ever deconstructing yourself. Right. Well, Jesus really does have some great things for us. There's an abundant life to live that he offers. There's renewal, redemption, restoration. Yes. There's things like joy and love <laughs> that you can live in. Yes. But in order for us to live these things and experience these 
things. We really do have to throw off all these traps, the blame game, deconstructionism, all these different things, right? Yeah, absolutely. I love the imagery Paul uses in Ephesians when he says, look, we must take off the old, which is being corrupted and put on the new. He says the same thing in Colossians. We must work diligently to do that. It can be a lot of work. It really can, but it must be done because once we take it off, that's when we can really walk in the new. I believe that nihilism uh, is a real thing. Meaninglessness is a real thing. Hopelessness is a real thing. Emotional trauma is a real thing. Um, you can live in them each and every day of your life and you will be miserable. And until you can get out of that and break free of those traps, you'll never walk in the fullness of what you just described that we have in Jesus Christ. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for jo- uh, walking us through this. I'm excited to be back and learning new things, and um, I'm excited to what you're going to be sharing with us on Sunday. So thank yep. you, and thank you to our listeners for joining us, and we'll see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. Blessings.